1: entrepreneurs intrapreneurs helping to diversify the industry this week on business of the Beat.
0: how do you go from 10 orders to 50 orders to 100 orders and i think about it because i was a college athlete i ran cross country i was running three to 12 miles in my training days and like i had to break that up right it's like let me i'm running half miles now i'm gonna go to the one mile the 1.5 and you're slowly chipping away at the mileage and the time And I think that's the same thing with building a business where set your goal and be patient with yourself on like getting to those incremental milestones. Hi,
1: everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Elaine Choi, founding president and COO of Crown Affair. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts, you don't want to miss an episode, and we'd love to hear from you. All right, everyone, Elaine Choi is the founding president and COO of Crown Affair, a hair care brand reimagining how people care for their hair and their relationship to it through clean, effective formulas and handcrafted tools. She has experience building and scaling organizations across various industries in both the profit and nonprofit profit sectors, while keeping the focus on people first. Elaine also serves as a Board of Associates member for the Robert Day Scholars Program at Claremont McKenna College and as a mentor through Crown Affairs Seedling Mentorship Program. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. This is such a special treat. On the podcast today, I'm sitting with Elaine from Crown Affair. And guess what? As you can see, we're in person. We're together. We're in their office. So this is going to be an amazing treat because you get both of us all together and all the products. Welcome. Thanks. I'm excited (laughs) to be here. And Elaine just shared a fun fact with me. This is her first podcast. So I'm honored. I'm grateful that you would take your first podcast with me and all the listeners of Business of the Bee. It's exciting, right? It is. (laughs) Okay, Elaine, so let's dive in. I want to start with something because you've had such an exciting career. You are literally at this amazing brand, Crown Affair, that is growing, that's accelerating. You're the founding president. You're the COO. So with all of this, what is your one word that embodies all of your aspirations and goals for
0: 2023? Abundance. Okay. Why abundance? I think Part of building a brand and a company is filled with so many starts and stops. And you think about the challenges and it can be scary. And And people only think about failure, right? It's like you have a plan, you don't hit it. And then what do you do? And actually starting Crown Affair, we had the pandemic and right. we had all of these unexpected things that happened. And I think what I've learned is all of the starts and stops, there's no one way to build a brand. There are so many. Um, And even in the failures, there are opportunities that open up. And I think it's something important to think about because we're starting kind of our journey to scale and we will have quote failures. And I just think reminding myself that through all of the challenges, there will always be another way. And so that's why Abundance. I absolutely love that. And I love how you frame it,
1: right? Because there's always going to be this oh my gosh, what if it doesn't work? What does failure look like? What are people going to think as we're building a brand? And on the other side of that, it's the normal process of building a brand, right? If everybody knew every single thing and was going to just have endless success, then like, what would this all be for, right? There has to be a little bit of friction, but if we can reframe it to, those are the pieces, there's always gonna be another way, another opportunity, then I think that it's that mindset, which you talk about, right? You're LinkedIn, you talk about being an optimist, like being optimistic and you long-term optimism. So when you think about this, there's gonna be stop-starts, there's gonna be things that others would perceive as failure, but being an, an optimist, how do you navigate that to get to the other side so it doesn't just like tear
0: you up? I think it's being clear on the goal. I, I have goals for the business, but just thinking about, I want to build an amazing, for me, team is really important. I always hire young talent and I really love growing them. And for me, I want to build a business sustainably with a team that is doing their best work that they're really, really proud of. And that's my goal. And so for that, I think the optimism comes from the goal never changes how you get there might change. And I think it's so important for people to identify what are, what is their end goal? Cause that's like the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Even when it's dark or seems far away, as long as you're clear on that, and that's aligned to your values and your vision for your life, then it's kind of easy. Then even when things are hard, you're like, oh, but it's there. Like the target is still there. Yeah. And not losing sight of that. I
1: think that that's what happens as we're building things. Like people come at you, other things are happening, and you kind of waver a bit. And so it doesn't mean that you have to follow the straight line, but it means that if our through line is this goal, then we have to make sure that everything kind of ladders up to us getting to the goal. Exactly. And when you think about kind of what's gotten you here, like take us back to your background because you're so poised in how you think about it. And I know that there's so many things happening. So talk about your background and how you got to this place and really what led you to even be in a place of
0: executive leadership now. It's so interesting because I was just talking about this. I have two mentees every year. I serve on the board of associates for the Robert Day Scholars Program at Claremont McKenna. So I get two usually sophomores or juniors that I mentor. And they ask me the same question. And I always tell them it was actually through my failures. When I look back in the moments that I didn't get what I wanted, I was like, I'm off track. Um, But it's actually what got me here. So good example is I love telling the story because all of my mentees want to work at Bain or go in investment banking (laughs) and not everyone can work at Bain or BCG or go to Goldman Sachs i was one of those people i wanted to work at bain i was like i'm gonna be a consultant i'm gonna go into business everything's gonna be amazing (laughs) and then i flew through all the rounds of interviews and then my final interview i don't know what happened i couldn't estimate how many planes were in the sky at a given moment and i just failed i bombed that interview and i didn't get the position and i was like my whole life plan is gone (gasps) and then that happened again with business school i really wanted to go to business school and that didn't happen, and I was like, "I'm never going to be able to be in executive leadership." Wow. But my goal was: I love leading, and I want to build a team, and that's what's important to me. And so I positioned myself in roles that, actually, when I look back at it, just needed cheap help. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just jumped in to startup environments, and I knew I was smart, and I could get my hands dirty, and I'm a good problem solver. So no matter the industry, if the opportunity was there, I dove in. So started out in healthcare consulting, learned so much from that. Um, I was doing clinical and billing optimization, implementing software for large hospital systems. I was oh wearing gosh. a little backpack um, <laughs> in my 20s, talking to CMIOs and telling them that their business is not working. Um, and I think that really built my confidence. And then um, I moved to San Francisco, and then I worked um, under Laureen Powell Jobs' team, Building and Scaling, College Track, which is an amazing education nonprofit, and they offer physical locations, offering after-school services to high school students and helping them get into and graduate from college. And nonprofits are resource strapped. I think at, at some point, my role was director of IT strategic (laughs) initiatives and operations. Um, And I was doing annual planning and and I was excited. I wanted to learn and I was really, really hungry. Mm -hmm. And I think from there, I got connected to Larry Ellison's team and he wanted to build this wellness concept on Lanai. And so from the ground up, we built this amazing wellness retreat. And that was a whole other experience being in hospitality. And I think I always tell people I do the same thing, but in different industries. And I really like doing that because it challenges my brain a little bit. You can't, mm-hmm. I, I don't just plug myself in and be like, this is how I did it in the last job. I, I look at things with a fresh perspective and am able to kind of problem solve from there in creative ways. And um, And I'm grateful to Diana, our founder, who I was not the normal profile for her partner. And she saw the way that I think and appreciated that. And, and we've been together since the beginning of the brand now. Well, and I love how you, you're just, the way that you approach it,
1: it's fun and it's spirited. But I also think about the hard work and kind of the defeat and the pain. You know, whenever we have this idea in our life that something's going to happen and then it doesn't. And there are some people where they can't get past it, right? And you've been able to get past it, and then you've been able to evolve into something that may not have been what you thought, but something that provides so much joy. And one of the things that we've been talking about and starting to talk about are these defining moments. And so I heard you even when you talked about bombing this interview, not getting in, that was a defining moment in your career. But when you fast forward to kind of where you are now, what is your new defining moment in your
0: career? I think it's something I reflected on a lot. I know I can build from zero to one. And I think in some ways I usually stop there because it's always easy to think about the potential, right? If I if I quit now, I will have known that I built something zero to one and oh, I could have scaled it. And that's like a nice feeling to have. And I think right now, really wanting to scale Crown Affair, I'm opening myself up to the potential of not meeting my expectations in the way that I want to and going back to the plan. Mm -hmm. And so I think my defining moment, I, I recently was reflecting and I was like, wow, this is new territory of a business that I haven't been in. And I just keep telling myself, I'm like, I can do this. Like I can do this, and I think that's gonna be a big defining moment. I think getting to scale a brand and hitting the next milestone for Crown Affair, I'm I'm excited and it's a little bit scary, and that's the next step for me. Well, and it's it's exciting and it's
1: scary. And if there wasn't friction, like if you had said here and be like, Oh, I've got this, blah, 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 I'd be like, Oh, okay, you go girl, right? And so we need a little bit of that to just like keep us on the edge and I feel like to keep us going. And it's a, it's just such an exciting time in beauty in general. It's an exciting time in hair. And if we think about Crown affair, how did you how did you guys meet? like how did you Diana meet? like what was that like? Saying, I'm going to come and join the business, especially because did you leave a job to come and do this? Or where were you at in your career?
0: I did. So I was working at Sensei, the Larry Ellison company, and it's actually a funny story. (laughs) My then co-worker, now boyfriend, we were not dating.
1: Oh, goodness
0: gracious. We're a pandemic relationship. (laughs) (laughs) He He met Diana at our then boss's wedding. Um, wow. And she shortly after posted on Instagram and basically was like, I'm building this thing. I need someone oh gosh, and I need so someone good. who is left brain, right brain. Cause Diana's very creative. And he emailed us both and said, I think you guys should chat, but she's never going to leave LA. And Diana was in New York. So I approached it being like, Oh, this is an interview. I'm super excited. <laughs> and she's on the phone and she's like, what should I be looking for in hiring this person? And so I'm totally caught off guard. So I just give her some advice, like here's what you should be looking for. Here's what you should consider. Yeah. Um, and we spoke for 45 minutes on the phone. I was sitting in a park and we hadn't even seen each other on Zoom. It was a phone call. And she calls me a week later and she's like, do you want to do this with me and move to New York? And I was just like, okay. Oh my gosh! I love we this. just had such a connection when we oh, talked, no. and I just took the leap. It felt right to me, and I quit my job, moved to New York. Wow! Moved with my forced my then boyfriend to come with me.
1: <laughs>
0: so he came
1: too. After yeah, introducing you
0: guys. Oh, oh no, no, no! This is a different person. Oh, you're like, hold on, what <laughs> doing? Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah. So, okay. So, so much to unpack here because I believe in divine timing. I believe in divine intervention. I believe in divine connections. And so when you think about the fact that the beauty of this is that you had one thought she had another, but then over this 45 minutes, you've established this rapport to the point where she feels like, Oh, I could trust her. This is my person. And you must have felt it too, because you're like, I'm leaving. So what was that span of time Were you like two weeks and I'm out Did you kind of go back and forth, or were you just like, "I'm out of here. I'm going to to New York." Did you know anyone other than a few people? Not
0: really. I knew after the phone call that it was it that I wanted to work with her. Wow. And she called me a week later, and I pretty much verbally said yes. We had to finalize the terms of all of that, and then I had a lot to wrap up with my previous role, so I I think we got connected in May, and then. I ended up moving in September or yeah. August. Yeah. Um. And where was the business at that point? We hadn't launched yet. Oh my. So this
1: is pre-launch. Pre-launch. Wow. Yeah. Um,
0: so she had a couple of the products that she was prototyping. She was in the middle of raising a seed round, basically to bring me on. And then, yeah, I hopped on board and we built the go-to-market plan and we launched in January 2020. Oh my goodness. Okay. So...
1: I want to come back to this notion of scale. So January of 2020, you're launching this amazing brand. You've done all the work. And then as we all know, we hit the pandemic. So, and you have now moved to New York to do this. What were those days like in terms of we've just launched? We haven't even started thinking about scale because we just have to survive through this pandemic. What was that like? And then how did you and Diana as new co-founders really kind of coexist and get to the other side?
0: We started the brand and Diana's a brand marketer. And her entire marketing plan was events, influencer, in real life. We launched the brand. We had good trajectory on sales. We had a great marketing plan. And then you're right, COVID hit. And then I think this is where the advantage I just walked blindly into consumer and beauty. So I don't really have like a rinse and repeat plan. And I think that was my advantage because then I was like, okay, cool. We don't have this plan that Diana made. How else are we going to make money? And it's a completely digital environment. And so we hired a key digital marketing hire because I don't know how to do (laughs) digital marketing and she's still with us, Jordan. She's amazing. She's now our director of D2C marketing. And we ended up just problem solving from there. And I remember even in the early days with pandemic, that's so funny to think about this, Diana and I, every day we would hop on zoom and we would set a goal for ourselves and be like, we just want to hit 10 orders today. And we would ask ourselves, how do we hit 10 orders today? And she's like, well, maybe I'll post on Instagram. And I'm like, well, maybe we'll send an email or maybe we'll do a giveaway with a partner. And it just, it was Just little by little, how do we incrementally get the next customer and the next customer? It was never about scale. Mm -hmm. And it's because we believe in the product and we believe in the brand. And we were like, how do we convince people to want to take care of their hair? And then that was kind of the unlock because people couldn't go to their hair salons. They couldn't get haircuts. Uh They couldn't dye their hair. And they were so bored with their 10-step skincare routines (laughs) that they moved on to hair care because they needed to do something with it. And so that was kind of the beginning for us. And then also we care a lot about developing young talent. And Mm -hmm. at the time when you're hitting 10 orders a day, you're bored as a business. There's just not (laughs) that much. You don't, you can't fill eight hours in a day. And that's actually why we launched our seedling mentorship program. Mm -hmm. Cause I was hearing a lot of feedback from my mentees. Hey, I'm not getting my summer internship. I'm worried about not being able to get my job, Mm -hmm. um, especially with COVID. So We launched that as like a little side project since we were bored. And now we have an incredible network of 300 women who have connected through this program and offered peer to peer mentorship. It's so amazing to think about
1: on one regard, we have something that, you know, could have just been the end of the brand. Right. If you guys weren't so connected And if you weren't so open to saying, let's get on every day, like what are the small goals? Sometimes we were so far into the future of big goals that we missed the day-to-day steps, the incremental. I love how you said that. And you had brands who couldn't pivot past it, right? And couldn't figure out how to connect to their consumer and how to look at marketing differently. You guys did that, but then you also said there's a give back here. And I love whenever brands can humanize themselves in a way that yes, you're giving back from the dynamic product that we'll talk about, but it's the human aspect of it. Like that's why I love brands with founders who have created something that they're passionate about. And the mentorship piece, you talked about that well before Crown Affair even existed. So as you started to develop the seedlings program, how did you balance that? As you were growing, because you did start to scale and now you've committed to 300 mentors or mentees. That's a lot of people
0: to navigate. How did you balance that? I just love doing it. I think the mentorship program really doesn't feel like a ton of work. I also think that the model um, was pretty simple in that we have people apply as mentors or mentees. And then we just send prompts every week and we ask them to meet. And then we usually do a group kickoff and a group closeout. So in in terms of the mechanics, it was easy. And then I think in terms of facilitation, it's just so fun for me. (laughs) Um, And so it's something that I want to give my time to. And so... I think you always prioritize what you want to give your energy to. So I will carve out that space. And then I also have recently hired support for that (laughs) program as well. Kate is our brand marketing associate. So she's been heavily supporting on the seedling side Mm -hmm. um, to support that program. And
1: how do you see that program expanding? Like it feels like it can become its own life of its own, just based upon your commitment to it how important it is to encourage the next generation of leaders? Like what is, what's the plan?
0: (laughs) So um, we'll always have the annual mentorship program, which we launch in the fall. We used to have it spring and fall, um, but we've consolidated it to one. And then I think as we continue to grow the community, there is so much expertise within the group. And a lot of what we've been talking about is, how do we share that knowledge either through group programming or through content and how do we continue to keep that community engaged? Um, So we are thinking through kind of how do we tap into that network and then be able to share that as resources to each other.
1: Oh, I love this. Okay. We'll have a separate conversation about (laughs) being united because I'm like, I see it all weaving in together. Okay. So now let's, let's reshift into, in terms of crown affair. So you go from 10 orders to securing an investment, True Beauty Ventures, which is amazing. You love the team there and what they're doing. So what was that process like? Did you lead the investment strategy? Did you have support? And then how did you navigate once they said yes?
0: So it was pretty easy for us from a business perspective on why we needed to raise money. We had signed the contract with Sephora. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so we, capital. we needed to buy inventory. And so, in terms of raising, it was a very clean story to tell. We had good traction on D2C. We wanted to scale with a sole retail distributor, and we had the contract in hand. Also, I think you know, we talk about like divine timing. True Beauty had kind of just been a new fund yeah. looking to deploy capital, and they specifically wanted to invest in beauty. So, to be connected to that team, at a time that the capital was critical and was going to drive additional success of the business, I know founders don't want to hear this, but raising our Series A was kind of easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, everyone's
1: like, "Let me touch you. How did you do that?" <laughs> and
0: and I think to Diana's credit, she's so good at raising money because she's so passionate about the brand. She's so passionate about hair, and I think we have a shared vision of what we want to build. And when she speaks to it, people feel it and they want to be a part of it. And so. That was the process for
1: us. Wow. And, and there are a lot of people like, wait a second, like how in the world did that happen? And did you just raise from True Beauty or did you officially go out,
0: meet with a ton of companies? They were our lead and we did fill in with some of the existing seed. And then we had a few other additionals come in. It's so great because you had such what
1: seems like, and I know I'm going to say seamless, but I know there's always a lot what's some advice that you could give to founders? Because you guys raised when you were two years old. So what advice can you give, especially thinking about you have Sephora, we have to raise now. We don't have a year to do this, but you have to really compact your raise into a tight timeframe. So what's some advice?
0: Make sure the numbers match to the story. (laughs) That's Um, great. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where Diana and I work so well because she visions with mood boards and art and wanting to build the crown affair universe. And then I follow that with what does that look like in terms of numbers and revenue? And I think having those two pieces tell a really compelling story to investors. And I think sometimes people lead with one versus the other, because the advice that you get when you're raising a seed is like sell the vision Mm -hmm. and post seed, you have to have the numbers. And I think so much of it is and, and the numbers are hard too, but going back to incremental, how do you break that down, right? How do you go from 10 orders to 50 orders to hundred orders? And I think about it because I was a college athlete. I ran cross country and I was, I was running three to 12 miles in my training days. And like, I had to break that up, right? It's like, let me, I'm running half miles. Now I'm going to go to the one mile, the 1.5. And you're slowly chipping away at the mileage and the time. And I think that's the same thing with building a business where Set your goal and be patient with yourself on like getting to those incremental milestones. Well, and I really like how you
1: translated in terms of being an athlete, because we have to have something that kind of connects us. And you even said it like in industry, outside of industry, there's these key learnings and it may not be rinse and repeat, but there is a mindset. And when you can have that mindset, then you can translate that into anything that you're doing. And it's phenomenal. I will say I tried cross-country. I was not afraid. I was like, wait, we have to run how long in the rain? No, I'm gonna go be a cheerleader. But <laughs> I was like, I don't I don't have that patience. But there is something to be said um, about patience when building a business and how important it is. And so even when you think about this two year period, you're launching, you're growing, like you said, 10 to 50. But you also had a PO from Sephora. And so there are so many brands that are trying to find, like, how do I get into Sephora? What's that secret sauce look like? So you guys got into Sephora before you even raised your seed or your Series A. What was that like? And did you
0: guys have connections? Was it an introduction? Diana had the initial connect. I think she had found someone who knew someone who knew someone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she had sent a note early when we launched the brand. And then as we started to get a little bit more traction, I remember she was like, I think we're ready. Wow. And so we put together a deck. And at that point, we had some numbers, we had product market fit. And so I remember that week, we like put together this keynote deck, and we hit send to the one contact that we had. <laughs> and all we could do was send it off and hope for a response. Yeah. So... We sent it off. We got an email back, and luckily, it got in the hands of the director of merchandising for hair at the time, and she was a crown fair woman. Wow! Yeah. Oh my god! And the best part is, uh, she actually works for us now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic!
1: Yeah. So she's an director at Sephora. She comes across your proposal. You find out that she's actually one of your customers. Mm-hmm. And then how
0: long between that and when you recruited her to come over? So it was uh, it was pretty quick in getting the contract signed. And we were so excited to launch with her. Then she went on maternity leave. And then she came back and said goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and we were devastated because we are like, were we, like just no, want, no. we need your help. <laughs> yeah. And then I think that was the light bulb for us because we were like, we just launched and we need your help. And then we were like, wait, we just launched it. We need your help. <laughs> um, so we actually reached out to her and we were like, can you help us? Wow. Yeah. Oh, you guys are just like the darlings. Like,
1: <laughs> I absolutely love this. So talk about the products because you've made sure that they're clean, that you have effective formulas, you have sustainability. And Crown Affair is really this love letter. Right. You talk about it being a love letter and it's just so beautiful when you think about it. So how did you decide on first products, ingredients, figuring out this balance of clean and then moving into a space that has gotten a bit crowded?
0: So the initial launch products was all Diana's genius. And she basically wanted to replace everything that she used with her own. (laughs) <laughs> and make it the best. Um, and so we launched with the brush, the comb and the comb. The comb Yay. and the hair towel and our first formula product was the oil. And those were all products that she was using from other brands and she asked herself if I were to make this for myself, how would I make it better? And so she went through especially the comb number 1, um, that is custom designed and she wanted a little pocket comb that she could have always because you should be detangling hair, not with your fingers, which is what I used to do (laughs) uh, with a comb. Um, And our brush is bore nylon, uh, handmade in Italy. And then she wanted a microfiber hair towel. Our head shape is not square, Yet our towels are square. And so that's what causes the extra fabric and makes the towels so heavy normally. So we cut off the corners. It's a patented shape.
1: So my gosh, a patented yeah. shape. I um, love this. Yes. And
0: also, a lot of the hair towels have button closures and it's in the back and you can't really see it. And it's incredibly frustrating. So she was like, what if we just put a strap instead? And so there was that. And then with the oils, she. I think the process of going through that formulation really revealed to her how much bad stuff goes into formulations. And so she was really committed to making the purest, cleanest oil that is also effective. And I think that's been something that we've been navigating where it does have a silicone in it, but it is a clean silicone, dimethicone, and that's for the efficiency and it has to be effective. And I think we tried to formulate without it, and it was just so heavy. And really, we wanted to make sure that we want to be clean as possible, but it also has to work. And how do we find that balance? Mm -hmm. And I actually recently just went through this with our leave-in conditioner, because obviously, as a business, we get pressure to cut down costs, cut down costs, improve your margins. And so we tried to reformulate the leave-in conditioner. We did get it down to a cheaper formula, but it wasn't there, like the efficacy, the texture, and I wasn't going to sacrifice the quality of our product for that. And when I asked the formulator, why does it feel this way? They had to remove a lot of the good ingredients that make it expensive and then fill it in with cheaper ingredients. And I think for us, we have a standard on, even if it cuts down on our margins or even if we have to increase the price a little bit, we're not ever going to budge on our standards. And I think that that's the tricky part, right? Because
1: we are trying to service our customers. We're trying to stick to our value. Then, on the other side, and what founders don't always understand is you go into retail. And I've had experiences, you're doing your line sheets, and that $2 makes a big difference in terms of what you're being asked to do for the overall perspective, from an overall perspective of the brand Mm -hmm. and the ingredients. And if it doesn't work, then everybody will tell you. And so when you think about navigating those relationships, those tough conversations, you clearly solved for it, but was there a moment where it either could have been, we're going to solve for this or it's
0: not going to work. And we're going to have to remove this product because we can't get it there. It actually happened with the tools. Our tools are very expensive because they're handmade. They're made in Europe. They're like ob- they're objects and when we went into retail, it was really eating up our margins and the tools tell the story of how we started. And Mm -hmm. I, at first I was like, I can't, we can't really take them off the shelf. And then the worst part was supply chain crisis happened, raw materials went up. So not only were the margins bad to begin with, but they were going to get worse. And so director of supply chain, who's amazing. She comes to me and she's like, Elaine, I can't figure out a way to make this work. And so I made a decision. Uh, we actually increased the price on our tools okay. and it was a little bit risky, yeah. but we were able to tell the story. Our combs, for instance, they went up in price because labor wages went up in Switzerland and I had a choice. We could move production to China and have them made by machines, but then you have, there's the risk of the plastic having threading. And then what is that going to do to your hair? And there's a reason why these combs are hand carved it's like such precision and accuracy. And so I, going back to standards and not budging, I was like, we need to keep our standards. We also have to run the business. So why don't we communicate to our customers on why this price increase is happening? And then we'll take it from there. And one, our customers are the best. They were super understanding. (laughs) And then two, that was kind of a solve for that as well.
1: Well, I love how you talk about communication. I've had various conversations about price increases and people who do it well and people who don't and your customers are your customers and they're going to track and they're going to know. And to your point, labor costs went up in Switzerland. It's happening across the board. So when you can get ahead of it and you can communicate and say, here's why, and then you make the decision. Right. And I think that that's so important because we've seen the stories of things going up, customers not getting it, and then pivoting into something else. And so the loyalty, the communication is, it's essential. And then making the hard decision as the COO and president, at what point do we say that these margins are not going to work? And so it sounds like you've figured out the solve for it and you've been able to move forward, but you've done it through the veil of transparency. So talk about what is coming up like you have now expanded your line. You are in Sephora. You've
0: raised money. What does scale look like at this point? Luckily for us, we are not being pushed on like product development, product development, product yes. development. Get it out. Get it out. Exactly. Get it out. <laughs> and I think we have a suite of products. We try and develop every product to be a hero product. And so I think for scale, it's how do we get more customers to discover the brand I think to date, it's been, it's interesting because people who know the brand, they're like, I see Crown Affair everywhere. But there are so many people who I talk to and I say Crown Affair and they have never heard of it. Um, And so it's figuring out how do we scale that initial customer enthusiasm to others and be able to spread that. And that's been a big priority this year. Well,
1: and it's exciting
0: because your
1: loyal customers are your biggest brand advocates. And then to your point, there's this whole opportunity for more customers. And when you think about how you want to accomplish that based upon what you've learned, I think we get so many questions. Like, is it going into more retail doors? Is it putting 40% of my budget into marketing? Like, what do you think the sweets place area has been for you? And then how do you want to translate that forward?
0: So Diana and I are pretty conservative when it comes to paid, digital advertising. And we've had a lot of success with organic growth to date. And I think it's really learning from that and leaning into that and investing in that. And some of it, you can't directly attribute the dollars, but I think it is more core to who we are as a brand. And I'll elaborate. This year, as we're trying to figure out how to get more eyeballs on Crown Affair, we could turn up digital advertising spend, but we want to show up for our customers. And what does that look like? So we're investing heavily in events. We're engaging more deeply with our influencer community. And we want to keep building those relationships and investing in those relationships and being able to create a community for people rather than just showing up as a paid ad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's kind of the way that we're thinking about it. I feel like every day we just ask ourselves like, how do we show up for our customers, and how do we create a space and a community for them, um, and to be able to share like the experience of Crown Affair? Because I think for me, the products are not just product that I buy. Like it is a reminder to take your time and brush your hair at night and take care of yourself. And that's a message that's pretty hard to convey with just a digital ad. Well, you know, there's something to be said about what's happening in the paid ad
1: space, right? And how tricky it is to navigate throwing money at it, the resources. And if you found that organic is working, it's always funny because coming from a PR background and a social background, I'm always like, you can't always track an a line to conversion or a sell, right? But what we do know is that it's the organic nature where people get to experience, they feel part of it. And the more you have those touch points, the more likely someone is to choose your brand over another brand. And so while you can always track, and some people don't understand that point A to point B, those pieces are so important because they drive the loyalty. They drive the brain to think, oh my goodness, I loved how I felt about that brand. I love how this brand gave me time to have a self-care ritual. And then that's what someone is, that's what's going to drive someone to be loyal. So I love how you think about it. And I just... I continue to go back to the fact that you all communicate as co-founders and that you really talk about what do you want to do? What's your strength? How does this work? And I think navigating that is going to make or break the brand. And so we do have people on who are like, okay, I started this. I want to bring in a founding president. I want to bring in a co-founder. What's the biggest piece of advice? Because you guys have now been in it for three years. Clearly, you've got a long runway ahead. And as you said, you're here to scale. So
0: what's a piece of advice to navigate that relationship? Make feedback a normal part of the relationship. Feedback can feel scary. You know, you say, oh, do you have any feedback? Everyone's like, I can't say anything negative. Or, I don't want to hurt <laughs> this person's feelings. Or, And I think Diana and I have a culture of feedback, and we do this with our team, where it's like, it's not a big deal. And so I, I love what's called quick hit feedback, where if there was a meeting that didn't go well, or if it went well, that I share that feedback quickly. And I think Diana and I, it's probably one of the most healthy relationships that I'm in because we're constantly openly communicating and giving each other feedback and making each other better because of it. And there's no kind of like subversive conflict, right? There's nothing that's festering because we will just talk openly about what we need from each other. And and yeah, sometimes it gets heated, like no yeah. relationship doesn't have its conflicts, exactly. but at least we're addressing the conflict versus less letting it just fester. And it's your approach to it too. Like, I love that. Like being able to have a quick hit, being able
1: to have a culture, a feedback because it is tricky and there really is no relationship where it's like rainbows and sunshine every single day. It's how you navigate through it, how you communicate and how you have a respect to get to the other side. And I, I having lived both lives as a founder with, and without there's something so special, whatever you can have a co-founder, a person to just talk it out, to share ideas with, and then to know that like someone else is in it with you and that they're going to help carry the load. Exactly. Okay. So my last few questions and we'll get you out of here. What is your form of just like, balance and self-care? Like you're doing so much, you're growing the brand, you're in this great position, you're mentoring over 300 people. What's your form of like true self-care and balance?
0: Doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, on the weekends, I think, I mean, I'm a little bit of an introvert and it's funny because my friends are like, Lane, when you say doing nothing, you're not doing nothing. Like my (laughs) week, like my doing nothing is like, waking up and making myself coffee and doing the laundry and like yes. cleaning the apartment. Yeah. And, and that's like, and for me, I, I love silence. So I feel like there's just so much noise when you're building a brand and you're managing a team. And so the weekends where I can just wake up and like it's silent and I just have time to myself. Um, that's kind of when I recharge my batteries. Um, it is hard being in New York cause when I'm in LA, I love surfing and that's also, <laughs> I go out and it's silent. <laughs> yes, I don't have to think about anything. Um, and so that's kind of how I take care of myself.
1: You know, I love that. And it's, it's, it's like, for me, it's like, I'll be washing dishes. And I'm like, no, I just like, love that. I'm like, it's just, it's mindless. I'm just here. And I love the outcome of when you wash dishes. It's like cleaning the kitchen is like my favorite form. Cause it's like, you get an immediate like, wow, I just did that. Exactly. It's now clean and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to talk to anybody. You're like in your own zone and it's figuring out like those moments that we need to recharge ourselves because then we go, 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 but we can't actually
0: finish anything because we aren't charged enough to power through the thing. Yeah. So, and how you show up for the people around you, yes. right? When you're drained, you're irritated, you're mean, you're short, like I notice myself doing that. And then I'm like, I need to take a day off. (laughs) Um, All right, Elaine.
1: So what is in your immediate future that you cannot wait to do, whether it's work related, whether it's personal, what are you just like, Kendra, I can't wait for this moment.
0: It's a good question. It's kind of bittersweet. Um, So my, my dad passed away last year. Um, he, it was really quick. He was diagnosed with cancer in March and he passed away in July. God. And so my entire family we're going out in July to LA to honor that. And I'm super excited. I have a niece and nephew and, um, I feel like my dad left a gift for us where we just like, it's a constant reminder to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, and family's really, really important to me.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm, Really looking forward to that. Oh,
1: that's so <laughs> nice. Thank you for sharing that.
0: That's mm-hmm. it. Um,
1: and as we close out, so this is where you can talk a lot about community and mentoring. So we always like to give a shout out to another brand that you're excited about. That's part of your community. Maybe one of your mentees brands, but what's another brand we should support?
0: So. Is it fair to share when I'm advising?
1: Yes. You can do whatever you want. Elaine, this is your world.
0: There's Um, no rules. I'm advising on a brand that just launched called Sophie Pavitt Face. Okay. And she is an acne wizard. Wow. And she's based in New York and is hilarious and kind and has two kids. And she comes from a fashion background. And, um, and, I, I think the the best thing about her is she's like the kindest human ever. Um, and I think she's building something really special. And um, And it's about bringing what she does in her studio to people's homes so that they can be really hopeful about, oh, I don't have to have bad skin. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's such a good one. And what's the brand? Sophie? Pavit
1: Face. Okay. Sophie Pavit Face. Wow. Okay. It's so funny because- we've come so far from like proactive growing up to all of these like really amazing brands that have such a purpose, right? And you can really see like, here's how your background benefits creating this new brand. And here's the value that we all get, whether it's acne or eczema Mm -hmm. or anything. Okay. So that's a great shout out. So we are all going to check out Sophie Pavitt face. <laughs> okay. And then the last thing is how do people get involved in your Crown Affair seedling program?
0: We will make an announcement in fall. So follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Or on our email list, and we will send that announcement. People can start applying. We are always looking for more mentors. Um, There's always a flood of mentee applications. (laughs) Yes. So if you're a mentor interested, please apply. All right. Perfect. And we will send
1: something out to all of our. Um, Listeners as well, so we can continue to support you. So Elaine, thank you. you. I'm so excited that we got to do this in person. (laughs) We're together, Um, but just excited for the success, your continued success. Scaling will be back as we scale. But thank you. Thank you. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And this week, thanks to Elaine, make sure to follow Sophia Pavitt Face. That's Sophia S-O-F-I-E, Pavitt, P-A-V-I-T-T, FACE, F-A-C-E, and they provide simple solutions for problematic skin. So make sure that you follow Sophia Pavit Skin. And as always, I love to leave you with one thing from today's guest, and that is set your goal and be patient with yourself to reach those incremental milestones. So set your goal and be patient with yourself to reach those incremental milestones. And with that, have a wonderful week. Make sure that you follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fish Mar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production.